week Bible study. Greetings to our faithful online congregation and our believers that are in the house with us tonight. You know, I was uh, speaking to everyone a couple weeks ago, and I was in the book of Psalms. And as you know, Psalms is a is a long book. And uh, and Pastor said something to the to leadership group on Sunday uh, regarding getting rest. He knows everyone is weary, and, and you need rest. And it just so happened that I uh, was reading in Psalms 91, uh, in verses 1 through 5, it says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. And I am trusting him, for he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every fatal plague. He will shield, shield you with his wings, and he will shelter you with his feathers. He is faithful. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night or the fear, fears of the dangers of the day. And I skip down to verses number nine. It says, if, the Lord, if you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near you, your dwelling, for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. In verses 14 and 16, it says, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me, and I will protect those who love those who love me, and I will protect those who trust in my name when they call on me. I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them, and I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. So, like, what does this scripture mean? This scripture invokes the times of hardship where life is draining and there seems to be no place for rest. You know, the secret power of Psalms 91 is, is you're not alone, even in the midst of our problems. You know, whenever we need protection over our life, it's a reminder that the God's loyalty to you and how he provides for his children. You know, there's no greater comfort to know that we will rest, we will enter rest of our Lord forever through salvation. So if you can uh, please stand with me. And if you're here tonight and you need of, ha- of healing, a financial blessing, or if you need of rest, you're in the right place. So, so let's pray to our God, the one and true healer. Mighty God, you're the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful wise counselor. You're our advocate, our helper, our friend, Lord Jesus. Your power and your wisdom is infinite. And we thank you, Father, for your tender mercies and grace. Please examine our hearts and our thoughts and purify us, Lord Jesus. God, because of your faithful promises, you are our armor and our protection. I will not fear the terrors of the night, nor the fears of the day, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, for those that are in need of healing, those, Lord Jesus, that need a financial blessing, those in need of rest, Father, I pray that you rescue them, Lord, and that they trust in you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, for harmony in our congregation, Lord Jesus. We pray for, Lord Jesus, for strength, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, for our trust in you, Lord Jesus, that you will help us to, to, to bring, to, to, to harvest fruit, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord Jesus, for those that enter into our building, Lord Jesus, that we're able to 
help and minister the word to them, Lord Jesus, so they can produce others like, like themselves, Father. We pray, Father, in, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so, so good. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Good to see everybody. Amen. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You you know your life has truly been changed and touched when you enjoy being in the house of the Lord better than vacation. Just saying. I love to have a good time, go and relax and get some R&R. My wife just asked me what we were doing this time last week, and we were vacationing. But I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord. I am. I love being in the house of God. Amen. And so it's good to see all of you, and good for all of us to be together again. Amen. You may be seated. We are still in our series of making disciples, and um, I, I have four more lessons to go, four more lessons to go in this series of making disciples, and before we leave tonight, we're, we need to pray specifically, and we need to commit ourselves to making a disciple, not a lot of disciple, just one disciple. I need for all of us to commit, not to me, but to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you will follow him and do like he did and make a disciple. Because I'm positive that if you make one disciple, you will continue to make more disciples. But uh, many of us haven't really had the experience in in doing that. So we don't understand the power and the, uh, what it does for us and the disciple. And I think when we finally get to that place where we have made a disciple from the very start of someone's desire to know the Lord, to them becoming a bona fide citizen of the kingdom of God, if you can hold somebody's hand from that point to the next point, which is to them being a participator in the kingdom of God as a born-again Christian, then you will see there's nothing quite like it. And so we need to all make that commitment before we leave here tonight that that's what we will do without excuse. Amen. You know, many times we want the Lord Jesus Christ to work a miracle in our life, but he cannot work a miracle because we haven't given him anything that is impossible. And so for some of us, yeah, pastor, I hear you. And yeah, you know, but man, it's not easy. Okay, that's true. I didn't say it was easy. But if you think it's impossible, then that's a perfect place to be for God to work a miracle. But if we conduct our lives like everything is possible because we can make it happen, then we will never see the impossible. In order to see the impossible, there must be impossibility. Right? 
And so I like to tease and say, if we want to see the dead be raised, what must happen? Somebody got to be dead. If they're not dead, how are we ever going to see the dead raised? Right? If we, if we uh, have a financial situation and we can work enough overtime to get that money we need, there's no impossibility there. But if we have a financial situation and no matter how much overtime you work, you will never get the money, then that's a fertile ground for Jesus to work in your life. So we need to start embracing the impossibilities in our lives because that's where Jesus will work because there are things that he'll, he just turns over to us. We have the ability to do it. And so we're responsible to do it. But then there are things that he knows we cannot do, and that's where he steps in and do what only he can do. But we have to have some impossibilities in our life in order for him to do those things. Amen? To get someone to step into or to get someone to understand the new birth and to get to a place where they're truly converted and be saved, that's an impossibility that no man can do. Only Jesus can do. And so many times I believe we back off of making a disciple because we're saying, I can't save nobody. You're right. But there are some things that you can do as humanistically possible that you're able to do as a Christian to help the process and the impossible part of it, Jesus will do. You can't fill anybody with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus can do that. You can't make anybody get baptized sincerely, but Jesus can. So let's not dismiss anything in our life, especially things that God has called us to do, because we think that, well, how am I ever going to do that? I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what the Lord wants you to do, to say, how am I ever going to do that? Because once we can recognize we cannot do it, then we know from that point on, we have to depend on Jesus. But because we do everything in our life, I got to tell you this, because most of what we do in our life is what we are able and capable to do, we shut Jesus out. And Jesus don't work in our life. In many of our lives, he doesn't work. Don't get quiet. He's not working in many of our lives because everything we do is what we can do. When are we going to step back and say, I can't do that, but I'm not giving up? Because I serve a God that can do the impossibility. We need to embrace that. He has given us, to this point, for, for many of us, the greatest miracle we have ever experienced. All right. All right. Man, we got some work to do. Because you all don't believe that. You all don't believe. If he has given, if, 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 if he has healed your body, it's pretty good. Okay? The greatest thing you will ever experience is you being saved. We'll get into that tonight. But most of us haven't even really considered that that's a great miracle because somehow we think, oh, well, I decided to get baptized. Oh, well, I was praying and I was worshiping and I received the Holy Ghost. So even our own born-again experience we, we probably have taken a lot of credit, more credit than we're supposed to take for that. And so we, we might not be looking at it as the miracle as it is. 
But we need to start looking at that as the miracle that it is. And this building that you sit in and we stand in is a great, great miracle. It was impossible for us to do it. We could not have done it if it hadn't been for the Lord. It's just that simple. If it had not been for the Lord, we did our part. Again, if you watch out Jesus' work, we stepped out on faith. We did our part. Our little couple of thousand dollars, and I'm not belittling anybody a couple of thousands because mine was in it too, but our few little dollars that we put together says, ooh, we got our money together. That was just what we could do, and Jesus wanted us to do that. But in order for us to have been here today, oh, Jesus had to do it. So you bring what you can bring to the table, and what you cannot bring, he will. But you still got to bring what you can bring. That's how we see miracles. And it's time for us in this vineyard, in this area of the country, begin to embrace the miracles and the power of God that he wants to unleash here. More people around this country believes in you than more than you believe in yourself. June 24th is our building dedication service. In my mind, it got out of control, but it's in control. God is the one that's in control. But the, the stuff that I'm hearing about, that I'm hearing about, I just got a phone call today. The stuff that I'm hearing about, I didn't know about, but I just say, y'all do whatever y'all want. Because they want to make sure that people all around this country and wherever they are, that God can do miracles in New Jersey as he has done. That's, that's what they have seen. I don't know what you all are seeing, but people around the country are hearing the story of this church and they're saying, my God, and they want to make this they want to make sure people understand that God has done this and God can do these things for them as well. I just heard a story today about a guy, same situation like us, in San Francisco. Brother Long called me and says, hey, we got another situation like you all. The realtor insisted that the church was, I said, my God, we, we, I wish we were getting this. We don't understand what God is doing. I'm hearing the reports around the country and around the globe that God is showing his people great favor. But if you don't want the favor, you can't get it. If we're going to sit around just like, okay, well, you know, nothing going to come our way if we don't begin to claim the things that God wants to do. And so God is doing it all around the country, all across the globe. He's doing what he needs to do for the people that's going to put him on the spot and say, God, only you can do this. And we have to wake up and realize we can experience great miracles in this vineyard, in this area of the country. We can experience great miracles and we can see the power of God like we've never seen it before. It can't just be business as usual and you can't, uh, you can't look at yourself as God can't do this with me. I try to say that, and the more I say that, the more he proves me wrong. The more I say to God, okay, you sure this is what you want from us? Every time I say it, he, he just take it up another level. 
And so here I am. All right, God, we appreciate you gave us this building. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to do everything. And here he comes with a message today. Oh, this is what we want to do with the building. Here's where we want to take you guys. And I'm like, man, God, that's just too much. So every time I think this is just enough, here he comes. So we need to get out of the mindset of thinking that we're not good enough. Get out of that kind of thinking. It has nothing to do with being good enough and everything to do with how badly do you want to share in what God or take part in what God wants to do in the world. That's all he's looking for is a willing vessel, an individual, a church that will say, God, whatever you want to do, we will join with you and we will roll with you in doing whatever you want to do. Making disciples. Tonight, we're on lesson eight. Our subtopic that we want to deal with tonight is vision, culture, and disciple making. Vision, culture, and disciple making. In Matthew 28, verse 18, this is what we started out with when we started out this series in verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Whenever we read the text as oneness apostolics, we always want to make clear that that scripture is not telling us that there's three different gods. That scripture is telling us to go and make disciples and baptize people in the one name, which is the name of Jesus Christ. And so we want to always make clear that if you break down the text, again, we, we, we're so... Uh, quick to research things that are meaningless, but we won't research the word of God. We see the word of God and we just like, oh, and we just decide this is what it means to us. And here we go, just believing that and going with it. And we never go and search out the context of the scripture, why it was written, who it was written to, for why, what purpose it was written. We don't do that. We just take it and say, well, you know, I think this is what it means. But we have to do a better job in studying God's word to know what it means. And so we don't run off and believe something that the Bible really was not saying. And so the word teach in verse 19 means go and make disciple. I love it because it says go. It means you can't stay still and make a disciple. You got to go. So wherever you're comfortable, you have to get out of your comfortability if you're going to do what Jesus wanted you to do. Again, let's go back and visit Christ's life when he walked the earth. Did he just sit around and make disciples? Okay. So if we're following him. What are we supposed to do? Be on the go. So the word go means to make disciples. The word nations means the whole race of mankind. The word baptizing means immerse or submerge. Take note in verse 19 that the word name is singular, 
which means it is referring to one name, and that name is Jesus. The word teaching in verse 20, it means to instruct by word of mouth. So we need to go make disciples. And how we're going to make disciples? By instructing them, by being an example, teaching them the word of God. And when we do baptize them, we baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. I have some strong statements tonight that I'm going to make in our, uh, our lesson here tonight that I really want you to pay, pay close attention to and really get it in your heart and in your mind. Listen to me. Every local church must decide if it is going to fulfill the Great Commission and every, let me say it again, every local church must decide if it is going to fulfill the Great Commission and engage every believer in disciple-making or merely assign the job of disciple-making to a department in the church. Ever since I've been in church, the church has always had an outreach team. Unfortunately, we get to the point where we just perceive in our mind that the outreach team is responsible for reaching out and making disciples. Every local church must do outreach, evangelizing in its community. But disciple-making is not reserved for the evangelism team only. A lot of people get comfortable. You all have an outreach team? Oh, great. And so some people in their mind, I want to be a part of that team. And others are like, well, our church have an outreach team, so we're, we're on the right track. And, and that's for those folks that make disciples. It is good to have such a ministry in the church. However, designating only one ministry to fulfill the purpose of the church will probably limit the number of people working in that area. We have made outreach and disciple making to be a ministry. If it's a ministry and it's not your ministry, then you don't have to take part in it. But disciple making and outreach is the call of the church. So if you say you are the church, a part of the church, reaching the loss and discipling the loss is part of your responsibility as a Christian. It's not for that segment of the church that does outreach, that, that, that makes disciples. It's not for the evangelism folks to do it. It's for everybody to do. Those who are not directly involved in that ministry may feel they are already doing their own ministry and don't see the need to be involved in making disciples. So if I'm Praise and worship leader, well, that's what I do. You all do outreach and make disciples, that's what y'all do. Oh, I take care of ushers, that's what I do. Oh, I'm the greeter person, I do greeting. Oh, and we go on and on and on because all of these different departments have decided that this is for that and that's for that. And 
we only have a few handful of people that we're making responsible for reaching the lost and discipling people. That's what we have done for many years in the church. I'm bringing it to our attention so we don't do that in this church. Some churches may endeavor to make disciples on the side. Not in the church, or should I say, not in this church. We don't make disciples on the side. But Jesus commanded his church to be a disciple-making church. So we can't do disciple-making on the side. This is not a side gig. Making disciples is not a side gig. It's the call of the church. So we can't say, we, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the head usher, but I'll do some disciple-making on the side. It has been said, a jack-of-all-trade is a master of none. I've said this a long time ago, and more and more I read the scripture, I realize how true it is. I use the example of sports. And I use the example of sports a lot sometimes uh, because it, it just, it, 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 it shows us how we are as a society and, and even as a people, how we go about our business. For some of you that don't know, there was a guy that played basketball some years ago by the name of Dennis Rodman. They call him the worm. <laughs> he, he had all this different color hair. And he became famous because the hair color and all that stuff. And he just looked weird. He had piercings all over his body. But Dennis Rodman became what they call a Hall of Famer, meaning he was considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time because he really only had one thing that he focused on, rebounding the basketball. Everybody wanted to do everything. But if we will ever get one thing right and just focus on that, if all of us will decide, I don't want to be good at nothing but this, and we will focus on that, it'll be all right. And so sometimes we want to be good at a lot of things, but you know what? How about we be good at the best thing? And God called the church to make disciples. If we say we are going to focus on all of us, focus on making disciples, listen, if we don't sing good, okay, that's not what we're focused on. If we don't preach good, okay, that's not what we're focused on. Okay, if we're not seating you right, that's not what we're, we're focused on reaching a lost and dying world and bringing them into the kingdom of God and disciple them till they become a citizen of Christ. If that's our focus and that's all we ever accomplished, we would have done the will of God. We can be great ushers and never do the will of God. We can be great singers and never do the will of God. We can be great preachers and never do the will of God. We can be great landscapers and never do the will of God. We can be good sound people and never do the will of God. But I guarantee you, if we will reach the laws and we will make disciples, we will have done the will of God. So you can take chances on trying to do all the little things that says, oh, we got to do that and do this. That's cool. But we can all reach to a place where we have to face Jesus and he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. All because we wanted to do some other things other than what he made the priority for the church. Churches that try to do everything will be proficient in nothing. But churches that focus on one thing 
will be successful at that one thing. As long as making disciples falls under just one program in the church, there will never be a culture of disciple making within the heart and the soul of the church. Establishing an intentional, an intentional culture in the local church is very important. We need to establish intentionally a culture that says we're going to reach the lost and disciple people. That's the culture that we need to establish in this church. Church culture is, ex is especially important when there are teams involved. Watch this. I'm getting ready to say something very important that you don't want to miss. It is easy but counterproductive for the teams within the church to do their own thing and not communicate, cooperate, or complement each other. When we don't have a single focus, everything that we do can be just selfish. As opposed to when we have a single focus, everything we do will be together even though it's separate. You follow what I'm saying? If when I'm ushering, when somebody hit the door and I notice that they are new, they've never been here, or they've been here two or three times and they don't look like they're Christians. If my focus is, I got to make sure I am on my best behavior. I got to make sure they get the right seat. I got to make sure they have the best experience. So now my usher job, I am on top of it. Because the single focus is, these are possible disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not right now, but the goal is, we need to make sure they become saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, become a citizen of Christ, and in turn start doing the same thing we're doing. So I have to see them as possible candidates. And if every ministry that we do in the church see people as a possible candidate for the kingdom, then we will have one single focus, even though we're doing many different things. You follow what I'm saying? So we have to have that single focus. When the culture in a church or organization is about making disciples, then every team, ministry, and department must be on the same page and partner together to accomplish the same shared goal. So, we're getting ready to have young people stuff. We have some young people that might not be where they're going to be in a few months. They're learning. So, we got to work with them. But the goal should be also, let's see if we can get some new people. See if the new people will bring new people. So the goal cannot just be we're, we're getting together so we can get together. Yes, we're getting together and we're going to have a good time, but the focus must be how do we reach people in this? So, yes, they're having a good time. Yes, they're going to just chill and eat and fellowship, 
But can we get some people to bring some new people? We're having a work day Saturday. Who do you know that can help out, that we can bring along, that can do some work too, and while we're there working, we're talking to them. Everything we do must have the mentality of how do we reach people because that's what Jesus died for. That's what he went to the cross for. He didn't go to the cross for us to come in a building and just chill and hear a good word and be developed in our own way, but nobody else gets reached. Shame on us that we were once lost and now we're part of the kingdom and we're not putting in enough effort to make sure somebody else can experience what we are experiencing. My wife laughed at me the other day. She gave me a hard time. She laughed. She didn't give me a hard time. She laughed at me. But I laughed back because I knew what I was doing and I know that's, what I, that's how I did a long time ago. So we went somewhere to go out you know, eat some good fish and some stuff and stuff. And so we're hanging out, group of us. And so I wanted something that the place where we are didn't have, but they told me the place next door had it. So they said, next door have it. And so one of the guys that was with us, down living in Jamaica, I told him, I said, come with me. We're going next door so we can get some of that stuff. And my wife said, oh, you afraid, huh? But I just laughed at her because... The practice always have been, when you're going to do something good, you always bring company. I ain't never did nothing good, real good, and be going by myself. I don't know about you, but in my mind, and my understanding, you can tell me if it's different for you. But in my mind, and my understanding, there is no way to have a good time by yourself. <laughs> if you're having a good time by yourself, you better go check yourself. Anytime there's a good time, you bring somebody along. So the question is, are we having a good time in church? Are we having a good time living for Jesus? Because if we are, we're going to do everything we can to bring somebody along and say, yo, you got to come see, you got to come here. Man, I'm telling you, there's some great things that's happening in the house of God. But maybe we're not having a good time. Mm-hmm. While it is true that vision will set your direction, it is also true that it is the culture that will take you where you're going. Culture is like the character, the behavior, the mission of our local church. I'll show it to you. We can have the most amazing vision that captures the imagination of our congregation. But without the appropriate culture, the vision will never materialize. If we have a healthy church culture, but no vision, we may have a good time, but we will never move forward. A lot of churches are like that. A lot of churches have their culture. Churches are going to have culture by default. You can, have an, an, you can have an intentional culture or you're going to have a culture by default. So however you don't do whatever you're supposed to do, that becomes the culture. And however you do what you're trying to do, that becomes the culture. But no matter what, we're going to establish cultures in churches. The question is, was the culture established intentionally or by happenstance? 
Hmm. Vision can be cast in a day, but culture occurs daily. Very little disciple making occur on Sundays. In fact, effective disciple making must go beyond a class that meet once a week or on Sundays at worship service. We're not going to make disciples on Sundays at the worship service. We're not going to make a whole lot of disciples on Tuesday evenings when we do our discipleship class from 7.30 to 8.15. We're going to do some work there, some things going to happen, but we're not going to have the, the kind of impact in those classes like we, do, we will if all of us in the church set out to go make one disciple. Mm-hmm. Vision is a compelling picture of the future. But a vision cannot be demonstrated until culture makes it a reality. I don't know if you notice, we have our vision statement outside, right in the foyer, and we have our mission statement out in the foyer. If you haven't paid attention, when you walk out in the foyer, stop and look at the, uh, both the, um, the, 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 the banners, thank you, the banners that we have out there, because they list our vision and our mission. But in case you missed it, let me tell it to you. The vision of Christ-centered church is to establish a 21st century apostolic church that is Christ-centered in lifestyle, principle, and power. When we say 21st century apostolic church, it's just the time that we're living in. We're not telling you we're trying to change the original church, what it's established. No, no. They were in a different time than we are. We're living in the 21st century, and so we want to have an apostolic church that is effective in the 21st century. And so we're not letting go of what makes us apostolic. We have to hold firm to what makes us apostolic. If we're going to affect the world, we have to do it the way the first century church did it. I had a, I finished up my final counseling session for a young couple that's getting married next Wednesday. And today, the final um, counseling session we talked about the wedding itself, and we're going through the planning of the wedding and how it will flow and everything. And they said to me, we have our own vows. I sat back in my chair. I said, what do you mean? Talk to me a little bit. They said, well, we're going to say our own vows to each other. I said, really? They said, oh, I see what you're thinking. No, no, no. We're going to say our own vows to each other in private, but we want you to say the vows when you do the ceremony. I said, okay. Appreciate it. Because if you were going to say your own vows, I would have said, you can say yours, but then I need to say mine. But it never came down to that. And I explained that to them. I said, usually when you make your own vows, it's going to be sweet. It's going to be sentimental. 
and you're going to be looking in each other's eyes and just, oh, googly eyes, and oh, baby. And I said, that's great and wonderful. But the Word of God is a whole different ballgame. And when that Word says, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, I mean, for richer, for poorer, until death. So that's a whole different ballgame, sis. It's a whole different ballgame, bro. So I don't mind y'all saying y'all something, but I got to say God's word. And moving forward, any wedding that I do when they have their own vows, great. But let me say God's word after that. Because we need to understand what this is about. We can't be getting ready to get married and not, and, and we can't, <laughs> we can't decide that we're going to get married and, 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 and neglect the author of marriage. Then you ain't getting married. You're just playing games. Because the Lord Jesus is the author of marriage. And so because he's the author of marriage, we need him to tell us what marriage is all about. Not we tell him what we want. The mission. Here is the mission statement, which must also be our culture statement. This is what I love about mission statement. It has to be kind of the culture. It's the mission. But the mission is something that you're doing constantly, which should be your culture. It should establish your culture, the mission. What is our mission statement? Our mission statement is to evangelize our local community. Let me throw something in there. What is our local community? Family, friends, co-workers, schoolmates, business uh, folks that we, we interact with regularly. Anybody that we encounter that we will encounter regularly, we need to consider them a candidate to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Any person any individual we find ourselves encountering every day, we need to consider praying for them and making them a disciple of Christ. By sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with love and to make disciples of Christ by teaching biblical truth. That's what our mission is. If you missed it, just go out and look, look at the banner and write it down and keep it somewhere in your wallet, in your pocketbook, somewhere so you understand. Because our mission is essentially the mission of Christ. I don't know if you missed it, but that's really what it comes down to. The mission of Christ Center Church is the mission. We are continuing the mission that Jesus started. That's really what we're doing. So we didn't make up some new mission. We didn't come up with our, you know, our ingenuity of a mission. No, no, no. We're just continuing the mission of Christ. When he ascended to heaven, guess what? We just continued what he started. Somebody say amen. And we didn't make up the church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So the church that we are establishing is the same church that the Lord himself established when he walked this earth. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that church that was in filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, that's the same church we're a part of today, and we're making sure we keep everything that they kept and they did back then. Just doing it in the 21st century as opposed to the 1st century. We are, we, we're not doing anything on our own. This is all following the template of what Christ want us to follow. The first century 
apostolics, or let me say this, the first century apostles certainly did not exempt themselves from making disciples. Paul always had young men traveling with him as he developed them on the go. He knew the impact that Barnabas had nurturing him in his personal life and in his early ministry. Therefore, Paul continued to model throughout his life the same thing that was modeled to him by Barnabas. As great as the Apostle Paul is, this is why disciple making is so important. Paul, from what we all can read from the Bible, and we're not comparing each other because as long as you are faithful to what God called you to do, that's all that matters. But for what we can see, Paul's impact probably was greater than anybody else in the Bible. But he didn't disciple himself. When God called him, he was discipled by Barnabas. And Barnabas was the one that helped Paul to grow into his calling, into his ministry. And look what Paul turned out to be. We don't know who we're going to reach for Christ. We don't know who we're going to disciple that will do great things. You might only ever get a chance to disciple one person. But what if that one person becomes like Paul? Don't what you did have some kind of count in that? Paul had started countless churches. He has developed countless ministers. Barnabas had a hand in that. We cannot think selfish as Christians. We can't worry about how this makes me look. We can't contemplate and say, well, well, you know, do I get credit from this? It, the Lord knows. And believe me, whatever you do for God, he will see to it that you are more than blessed. More than blessed. The word of God says, God says he will owe no man. Which means what kind of give back you will receive from doing God's will will be more than enough for you. In 2 Timothy 2 and 1, the scripture says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. All it is required for you to make a disciple is being faithful. That's it. To be a disciple maker, just be faithful. It's all that's required. And faithful do not mean just to come to church. I thought about this today as I was reading and studying. When we think about the word go and the word wait, both words, according to the Lord, means to move. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. When God says wait, he doesn't mean come to the church service and sit and wait. If you go to the upper room where they were waiting, did they just sit there with their mouth closed? What did they do in the upper room? 
Did they just sit and wait? So when God says wait, he doesn't mean just chill. Waiting means to do something that's, that's, that's Christ-centered. Waiting means to do something that pleases the Lord. May, when he says go make, go is to go and do something for the Lord, make disciples. So there's no place in scripture aside from if you're taking a vacation that you're going to sit around and chill. You're supposed to go and you're supposed to wait while you're making disciples. While you're developing people that are hungry for Christ. So if all we're doing is coming to the building, we have to challenge ourselves that that's not enough. In 2 Timothy 1.13, the scripture says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou has heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you. The, the best way to retain what you have learned is to teach it. Just saying. Just saying. If you don't teach what you have learned, you will not retain it. This is why a lot of people, I do this a lot when I hear Christian people talk, I kind of listen, and I just listen how they kind of run through trying to break down the scripture. Because a lot of times, we're not teaching it. We're just taking from it the part that makes us feel good. The part that touched our emotion. We, 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 we grab onto that. And so trying to explain something that, that you're only connected to emotionally, you will skip a few beats. And you won't teach it effectively when the time comes. But if you will grab onto it, practice it first, and then teach it, you will be an effective disciple maker. Peter brought Mark under his purview and oversaw his personal growth. Watch this. You didn't know that Peter had a great hand in helping Mark uh, grow in his personal walk with Christ. In 1 Peter 5 and 13, the scripture says, the church... That is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluted you, and so does Marcus, my son. Mm -hmm. Marcus. There is no substitute activity for your hands-on involvement with a spiritually lost individual that God has placed in your life and to lead that person Gently to the word, the gospel, the altar, the baptismal water, and into a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a secret. You have to hear this and understand how important this is. I've spoken to a lot of people that have gone to church 
all the different denominations and everything. The Lord Jesus Christ has never sent a lost soul to any other church but an apostolic church. People will get invited to all different denominations. People have relatives that will go to different denominations and they will go along with them. But anybody that ever told you they heard the voice of God, anybody that ever told you there was a strong impression in my heart that told me to go to church, it was always an apostolic church. Why am I telling you that? Because when people meet you as an apostolic, they have met the answer to everything that they ever need the answer to. You don't have the answer, but you have what, it, what, what, what they need. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have the Holy Ghost dwelling in you. You know the truth about salvation. You can introduce them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You won't lead them into false teaching and false doctrine and false religion. When they meet an apostolic, they have met what they need for the rest of their life. And we show up like we're just, oh, well, I'm here. You are the most important person wherever you go if there's no apostolic person there. That's not to make us think we're better than anybody. It's to let us know the responsibility that we carry, the authority that's up on our life, because people need to hear from the apostolic people, the true church. They need to hear from you. It's not good when we show up and nobody gets to hear us speak. We have to speak. We have the words to eternal life. And so just thinking that, oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. You think that's all there is to this? No, we can't live like that. We can't just be working, getting off of work and hustling the Bible study midweek and then getting up Sunday morning after all week we've been busy and now Sunday morning come and we're tired because we've been taking care of our homes. We're trying to live our life and here we come. We got to get to church again and we're just living this cycle and we're worn out. That's not the life Christ had for you. But most of us live our life like that. Not the life he has for you. So don't be mad at God because you're not experiencing what you're supposed to, you have to re-establish your lifestyle. And sometimes, sometimes, can I, I got so much I can tell you about this. Sometimes, because we decide, I like this lifestyle, our life just keeps going down. For instance, I've seen this. I've seen people go to a church or in a church where they clearly can see this is not helping me and the person that's leading is not speaking any life into my life. But you know, it's the closest place to my house. This is where I've been going for years. I mean, I don't feel like trying to go find no other church. I don't feel like go meet no new people. I like my church, I sit in the seat that I like, and I know how long the service lasts, and all of this stuff keeps going through our mind, and that's what we do. Yet and still, our soul is deteriorating because we don't want to change. And we blame it on all this stuff when it just comes down to reorganize your life. 
And so if that means you're going to have to change up the way you've been doing things, then that's what you have to do. But we don't want to change anything up because we've established our routine. And if I change my routine, that's going to change everything up. And you never stop once to say, Ooh, this is going to be, a, be some work to change it up. But you know what? In the interim of me doing that, I'm sure God's going to meet me somewhere in there and something different is going to happen. In my early Christian walk, you've heard the story, I had three jobs. In three jobs, you tell me where I have time to serve God. Three jobs, tell me how am I going to be able to effectively do anything for God. Three jobs. Three jobs. Not one, working overtime, but three jobs. Always on the move. And so, being always on the move, what was I going to do? And so, I quit one first, and then I had two. The second one made more money than the first one. But the first one gave me a good schedule. So I bounced around with the two jobs for a while that I remember on one Mother's Day. I quit the second one, which was the one that paid me good money. But you heard me say one Mother's Day because I had to work on Mother's Days and stuff like that. So I had to quit that job. So now I'm down to the one job that was paying me the least. But that job, I went to work at 8 a.m. and I got off at 4.30. And because I go to work at 8 a.m. and got off at 4.30, the first Bible study I was able to teach was 7 o'clock on Mondays in Montclair, New Jersey. If I was working all the jobs, I could not have taught that Bible study on Mondays. At I couldn't. So that was the first Bible study. But I was making $7.25, an hour. That was in 1996. I still got that job today, and people wonder if I got a job. Because it's that flexible. I didn't want to quit all them jobs. I liked what I was doing. Everything was just rolling. Driving a nice car. What we used to say back in the day, Cal, I always had a knot in my pocket and I wasn't on the block. Because only people on the block, some people don't. Thank you. The people on the block that had the knot was hustlers. And so all the friends that I had that was hustling, they always had a knot. And they kept a knot in their pocket. I decided I needed a knot too, Joe. But I went and got it the right way. So I kept a knot too. And so when I had to switch to that one job, I ain't had no knot no more. (laughs) But I reprioritized my life because Living for God became more important to me than the knot in my pocket. Living for God meant more to me than, than, than just driving a nice car. Sometimes you have to reprioritize your life and stop living your life because this is what you're accustomed to. This is just comfortable for you. What I'm talking about, for some of us, we are going to have to reprioritize our life. And so, there is no substitute. I don't know, it doesn't matter now. 
There is no substitute for spiritual involvement with spiritually lost individual that God has placed in our life. We have to lead them gently to the word of God. We have to teach them the gospel. We have to lead them to the altar and help them to pray through to the Holy Ghost. We have to help them to know and understand of being born again, being baptized in water, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and being a brand new Christian in Christ Jesus. It's important. Jesus exemplified every action, attitude, and behavior he desired to see reproduced in his followers. Everything that I'm talking to you about tonight about reaching the lost, Jesus did it. We like to say we're followers of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean when we say we're followers of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to you when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian? What does that really mean to you? Attending a service twice a week in a building? Worshiping, praying, reading your Bible? Does, is that what it means to say, I'm a Christian? And so we need to realize that God is calling us to be a disciple. And being a disciple is a whole lot more than just coming to a building. Jesus said in John, I'm going to finish here. Jesus, Jesus said in John 14 and 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, when you read that, some people get confused because Jesus is telling us that we will do greater works. There is no way possible we can do greater works than what Jesus did. The only meaning that passage of scripture could have is that we will do more works than what Jesus has done. Because Jesus spent three and a half years here on earth in ministry. We will live for him, most of us, for more than three and a half years. So it's not... The, the, the greatness of what we will do, but it is the, 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 the number of works, how much we will do as far as the length of time we will have. And so Jesus is telling us that we will do greater works. Watch this, what I like about that passage of scripture. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whenever you hear even if you think it, when you hear people begin to talk about whatever we ask God, he does it. Make sure you take them to this text. John 14, 12 through 14. Why do I want you to do that? Because we have to bring scriptures in context. He said if we ask anything, but what did he say before that? He says you will do greater works than I do. So the context of what he's saying is, if you're doing the greater works than I did when I was on earth, then whatever you need, I got you. While you're doing what God wants you to do, he will take care of whatever you ask of him. Because think about it. If you're doing his work, what are you asking him for? How can you be deeply involved in ministering to somebody and asking God at the same time to give you a million dollars? How? It's not possible. Because if you're putting your heart and soul into something 
at the moment you're doing, that's all you can think of is that thing. So if we're deeply involved in making disciples, we will not be asking God for a million dollars or a big house or anything like that. Now, will he give us that? Sure he will, if you can handle it. So to say he will give us what we ask, put it in context. As long as we are doing his will, he will give us whatsoever we ask him in prayer. As long as we're doing his will. But you can't come to church once in a while. You can't pray once in a while. You can't read your Bible once in a while. You can't come to the altar once in a while and say, God, I'm doing your will. Will you bless me? A lot of people are just frustrated with church because they're doing it the wrong way and they're blaming somebody else for the frustration that they're experiencing. If we will do it the right way, we will not be frustrated. Because if we will put God's business first, when we finally get tired and say, God, I need to take a break, will you bless me with a nice vacation? I guarantee you he'll do it. But if you just never do anything, and then you need a nice vacation, God might say, what you need a vacation for? I thought you'd been on vacation. <laughs> we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Jesus was up close and personal with the twelve and was continually with them, training, teaching, demonstrating, and then observing them do ministry. Many of us have not been effective in making disciples because, here's, here's something, I don't want nobody up in my business. I'm going to stop. I'm, I, 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 I got more to go. I'll just pick back up next week. We don't want nobody in our business. And so that's why we don't get nobody close to us. <laughs> Can I tell you this? <laughs> I feel sometimes, I could be wrong. I feel sometimes that with the title pastor that I have, people want me to be dignified. And I can't. And some people might not want me to be their pastor just because of that, because I can't be dignified. I can't be sitting on the high, um, the high chair and everybody else on the low chair and everybody is just catering to me. I, I just can't do that. I don't know what that is. And then the other day I thought about that and I said, yeah, Jesus never did that. When did Jesus sat around and make everybody feel less than and he is the top-notch guy and he's the one that's calling the shots? When did, they, when did we read that? When he finally had to fulfill scripture, quote unquote, fulfill scripture, he didn't come in on a white horse. He came in on a donkey. That's how much he stayed low. I can't, I can't be no dignified pastor for y'all to make me this guy that, my pastor, man, when he come in the room, it's like holiness have come in the room. It's like God getting ready to speak. I can't carry myself like that. So I'm sorry if I didn't measure up to that for you. Because all I want to do is be a servant of God. I know I'm his child. I know he loves me. But he died so people can be saved. And because he loves me and I love him, I want to work with him to fulfill what he gave his life for. You see what I mean? How we claim that we love people, but the thing that's the most important thing to them we not making sure 
that we get a, to be a part of that. You're quiet because you got to ponder that one. If you say you love your husband, find out what's the most, well, you should not have to find out. You're supposed to know what's the most important thing to him is. And when you know that, you're supposed to do what you can to let him know, I support you on that, honey. Same thing with the wife. If you know what the most important thing is to her, you're supposed to let her know, I support you on that, honey. If it means something, if it's, if it's, if it's important to your spouse, you're supposed to let them know, clear as day, I support you on that. That's how you demonstrate your love for one another. So now carry it over to Jesus. If we say we love him, what did he do? He bled. He died. So people could be saved. So if I claim to love him, I got to say, yo, I got your back. You died for people, then I got to do what I got to do to make sure your plan is fulfilled. That's what we're talking about here. That's what this discipleship thing is all about. We can't claim to love the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and, and not working alongside him, not giving our blood, sweat, and tears, and sacrifice so his plan can be fulfilled. If we love him, that's what we should be doing. So our culture in Christ-centered church, let's stand. Our culture here in Christ-centered church needs to be, we need to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That needs to be the culture. That needs to be the mission here in the church. We cannot just show up and do what we got to do, looking for us to feel something, looking for us to get something, and not realize we're supposed to be in partnership with the Lord. And so before we leave here tonight, uh, I, before I could open my mouth what, to what I'm getting ready to tell you, the Lord let me know already. I said this evening to the Lord, I said, Lord, I've made disciples in the past. I need to make a disciple right now, even with all the responsibility. I need to make a disciple. And as soon as I opened my mouth to say it, he told me exactly who to disciple. And so I want you to ask the Lord before you leave here tonight. Lord, who do I need to disciple? Because there has to be someone that's in my purview, someone that I encounter regularly, someone in my family, someone that I know from someplace that you want me to disciple them. And here with technology now, I don't think there should be anything that should stop us from making disciples of anyone that the Lord will put on your heart, put in your mind. And so let's go before the Lord tonight in prayer and ask him to speak to us, to show us who we must disciple. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to look into the scriptures and to see, Lord God, what it is that you're calling us to do. What it is that we need to understand with clarity. And oh my God, we surrender to all the instructions and the word of God. For Lord, we don't want this night to just be any other Bible study night. But Lord, will you help us to take what we have received here and Lord, have the wisdom that you will give us to apply it to make it begin to work in our life, to make it begin to happen in our life, Lord God. 
Lord, we just don't want to be traditional in just coming to the, the house of God and worshiping and praising and listening to preaching and reading our Bibles and just going back out, giving of our offering and then just going back out. No, Lord, this is more than that. And we ask, Lord God, that you will move on the heart of all the people of God in Christ-centered church, Lord God. That we will become a people that will look to disciple those that you will bring into our life or lead us to go to, Lord God. You died, Lord Jesus, for the entire world that all could be saved and that none would perish. But, Lord, there's a process for them to go through in order to be saved, in order not to perish. And, Lord, we're asking that you use us to take them through the process in what we can do for we know you will do what you said you will do and oh God I pray tonight that every person that sincerely and genuinely come to you to say Lord show me who I can make of a disciple of Jesus Christ show me who you want me to disciple that they will become a part of the kingdom of God a citizen of Jesus Christ going forward and replicating themselves as we have replicated ourselves. Show us, Lord God. There are people all around us that we encounter regularly, Lord, that are crying out, but we can't see them because we have been locked in to our own selfishness. But will you, Lord God, awaken us? Will you, Lord God, bring to our mind and our focus those who we need to disciple? One at a time, Lord, we will go and make disciple one at a time Lord we will give of ourself and we will sacrifice we will pick up our cross and follow after you Lord one at a time we will speak the word of truth into their hearing one at a time we will love them and model a Christ like example before them one at a time use us God to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, no matter what we do in the church, help us to make our first, oh God, ministry to be disciple-making, Lord God, and then everything else we do comes afterwards. Help us, Almighty God. Teach us, Almighty God. Help us to develop the kind of culture in this church that will be about our Father's business and not about our own business. I pray and ask that you will give ears to our prayers and that you will speak unto us, that we will hear the voice of God and we will become doers. We ask you all these things in Jesus' Jesus' holy name. And can everybody in the house of the Lord give him some praise. Hallelujah. And thank him tonight. Glory be to God. We bless your name, Lord. You're so good to us, Lord. And we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before we dismiss, I believe we have one guest with us. Did you bring us? Is this his first time, Chuby? second time, but I've never seen him. Have I seen him the first time? I haven't met him. Well, I got to come down and meet this gentleman. Hallelujah. I want y'all to make sure y'all love him up. What's your name, sir? Young. Young, I'm Wayne. Nice to meet you. Welcome to Christ Center Church. Anything at all we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask us. We want to do everything we can to make your life better. 
and help you to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming tonight. Love up young and let him know how much we love him. Amen. If you can, give a good offering tonight to our building fund. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your night. In Jesus' name.